Yes, indeed. Take two. Cover band Central Wisdom Hour, number 30. I'm Steve Witchell in New Orleans. Take two, double dose. Can't get enough. Tony V here from New Jersey. What's up? What's up? So uh, what happened was uh, the reason this is not being broadcast live and you were listening to the recording is because I changed my password in, in Facebook uh, during the week, which you should do every once in a while. And I did not change it in Spreaker, which is where we broadcast the podcast. And it, uh, in my attempts to fix it, it was not cooperating. So we were just recording because we have time constraints here. But nonetheless, you will still hear it just without your comments, your live comments. But free, feel free to comment along as if you were listening live. Just pretend. Pretending is fun. Just pretend, like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Yes. All right, so what's going on? How are you doing? What's happening? Doing great, bro. Uh, had a great Mother's Day weekend. Had mom over. A uh, bunch of people. Close family, about 20. I had a real good, real good Sunday, real good Mother's Day. It went late. A little hungover on Monday, but it was all good. Very nice. Not the hungover part, though. But well, getting to the hungover part was fun. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That's why we do it, I guess. We deal with the hungover part because the getting to it part is fun. And when I say we, I mean people who drink. <laughs> the collective masses. Yeah. Which I've curtailed in, in recent uh, weeks or so. I used to drink at work. That's a good topic of discussion anyway. Um uh, drinking alcohol while you're playing, there's there's a lot of people have, that have strong opinions on that, whether it's they should be permitted to or they definitely should not be permitted to. In my situation, we are um, we are permitted to drink and sometimes even encouraged by people buying us drinks. Um, and I think there's there's a lot of cases too where you're playing in a bar where you sort of are encouraged to drink because if people that are there seeing you play or seeing the band drinking, then they're going to want to kind of join the party and, and, and you can kind of sell the alcohol better if you're actually drinking it. Like you can hold up your beer and say, you know, beers are three for one right now. And you hold up your beer. So that, that gives them more incentive. I think, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I remember when Lurker Park used to play back in the day, and I had sat in with them a couple of times. They would do, um, remember to his sister, I want to rock. Sure. They would, I want a shot, shots. <laughs> and when people would come up with shots, they would break into that, you know, little medley of the shot song. Right. Um, and encourage people to drink, always a good time, you know. People drank heavily. Um, so I think, yes, if you are, I mean, there's a fine line, right? Because if you're, if you're drinking too much and you can't play, that becomes problematic. Certainly. You know? So I can remember playing um, in many situations where guys just drank too much. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you did too. I mean, I remember one of my first gigs. I was a kid. I was like, I was 19 maybe and, and drinking age was 21 or I might have been 17 and drinking age was 19 whatever the case was I was driving but I went to a gig and 
I was filling in for someone for this blues band. They were all the guys were in their 40s and 50s, and I was like a teenager, you know. And right. we got to the gig, and I remember the guy was was getting uh, the bass player was getting lit, dude. He was drinking like Dorn setup, and then Dorn sound checks. So by the time gig time came, he was well primed, you know. And um, two funny stories that night. One, he's like, dude, he's like, dude, let me help you carry your cymbals out. And I'm like, no, nah, dude, I'm good. And he's like, no, nah, I'll help you. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. And I had all the cymbals like piled up on uh, on the side, so I take them up the stands real quick, and I didn't put them in the case yet. And he picked up the whole pile of cymbals and turned to like walk and like stumbled off the stage and they all spilled out except for the ride cymbals. So like five cymbals were like, you know, that kind of sound is when it hits the ground, you know, it's like, oh man, it's <laughs> awful. Yeah, rolling over the place, exploding everyone's attention. Like what the hell, what's going on over there? Right. And then we were gigging and uh, in the middle of the gig, I remember we were on a riser and he had his head back and his eyes closed and he was just like, you know, grooving and he was like bopping and he was stomping his foot and it was like a real slow blues tune. He was playing like and he's just like, you know, grooving to that and as he's rocking, he had a pitcher of beer on the guitar player's brand new amp and, and I'm the only one that sees oh, no. it. And as he's jamming on the stage, the whole like riser is rocking and the beer is spilling all over this guy's amp. So the guy's playing lead, and he's like, dit, 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 <laughs> and all of a sudden it's just off. There's no sound coming out of the guitar anymore. I never forget the guy's face. Dude, he's checking his cable, he's looking at his guitar, and all of a sudden he turns around and he sees the beer dude spilled all over the place. And it was like a cartoon. He like it was like Macaulay Culkin, you know. He put his hands over his ears with his mouth wide open. He was like, oh no. Oh, uh, that's why you that, never put drinks on top of your amp, man. Oh yeah, dude, and it was like game over. Uh, he had like he had another amp or something happened, but his amp was was not functioning for the rest of the evening. It was done. Yeah, that's what's gonna happen. Oh, yeah, so drinking too much and putting drinks that those are all good putting things. Drinks. Should not put beer. I remember another guy putting a beer on top of his bass amp and jamming, and in the fun and in the thrill of the moment, spun to turn to me, and the neck of his bass dumped his full pint glass, which had like a sip out of it. Right on top of it, like it knocked it over around the head of his amp, and it was just waterfall down the, you know, uh, all over the, his amp, sides, front, in the knobs. You know what I mean? Like complete immersion of beer at empty glass, like done. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's why you never put drinks on top of your amp. Sometimes people will buy a shots, and you know, I have a, a four ten cab, and uh, I have a small. Amp that I, I I use it's a GK uh, I forget the model if it's two hundred if it's in my backpack it's small so I, there's other room on top of the cabinet so when people if the bar somebody buys us drinks and the bartender comes up and brings them like brings shots they'll put them on top of my cabinet and I always I always move them as quickly as I can because base cabinets vibrate especially when you're playing loud and especially when they're right next to the drums. So that they will spill. And even though it's just a little shot, it's like, all right, I don't want anything spilling. Some girl came. It was like last week or two weeks ago. And, and it's sticky and it makes oh, a mess. Oh, it's sticky. Yeah, it's horrible. And it gets on the floor and then you're sticking to it on the floor. Some girl came up um, that we know, you know, that is sort of a regular, semi-regular that comes to see us once in a while. I don't know her name, though. And I asked somebody her name. And I've seen her a ton of times. And, and I asked somebody her name that night and I still don't remember it but she can we were done playing and she came up on stage and she's holding a full drink like a fruity something cup 
with ice and everything, like almost full. And she gets, and Sean, the drummer, is like packing up his stuff, you know, starting to get, you know, I had already packed up all my stuff and, and gotten out of the way. Um, and then she's talking to Sean, and then she spills the entire drink on his, on, on the floor, but it got on like the, the, the pedals and the, the snare and the, the hi hat, and Sean was pissed. A major bummer, yeah. You know, and then he's just, and she, I mean, she felt horrible about it, but, and she wasn't all like crazy drunk, and she was just careless. But then Shauna had to spend a good 15, 20 minutes cleaning his stuff. Because, yeah, it gets sticky. It's horrible. I had a, I, I was playing a, this place called Voodoo Vibe, which is no longer there on Bourbon Street. This was years ago, probably like five years ago. And when we first got the gig, there, there were the way it worked at that club. There were there was a day band, and then there was the night band, and we played. I'm going to say four or five nights of the week there, and then there were different day bands and stuff. So when we got the gig, it was a brand new place just opened. We and we got the gig, the night gig, and I brought my cabinet. My I had GK410 cabinet and my amp, uh, GK amp, and. You know, th- that's what I was going to use there. I was going to leave it there because I'm, you know, playing four or five nights a week. I'm not going to haul it out. I'm going to leave it there. So the other bands, the bass players from the other bands that played there, there were two or three of them. And they contacted me when they found out that we got the, you know, the main spot there. And they said, hey, do you mind if I use your rig? And I'm trying to be, you know, I'm still relatively new in New Orleans. So, yeah, it had to be like six years ago. And, and and I don't know these people really, but they they knew who I was. So I'm trying to be accommodating and and be a good you know coworker. And I said, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, you can use my rig. And so it that ha- that went on for like a week or so. And, and I'm in I coming in there for one night. We had to work, and we got it in there early. And I'm watching the day band and the guitar player has a beer in a cup on top of my amp and you know he wasn't using it obviously he's a guitar player but it's it's just sitting on top of my pen and i got so pissed about that like and i didn't know who this guy was didn't know anything about him and when he got off stage you know i said hey man you know please don't put drinks on top of the amp you know because it's my amp. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. He's very cool about it. He's like, I'm sorry. I didn't know. Yeah, of course, that's not something I should do. Blah, blah, blah. And uh, he turned out to be this guy. His name was Dave Joyner. He, he uh, great, very highly respected guitar player in New Orleans. And he played with uh, Afghan Wigs, too. Um, oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. And I, I actually saw him after I met him. And after that happened, I, I was, I'm watching late night TV and he was on it was like the tonight show or the late show what one of those you know the the popular late night shows and I'm like damn isn't that Dave and it was Afghan Wigs he was playing with so he he was you know real pro so he was he was cool about it sadly he passed away um within the last couple of years he had cancer um but oh no but yeah so the the moral of that story is don't put drinks on top of your hand because <laughs> they'll spill and hurt everything. Um, <laughs> Moral of the story is, yeah. Um, yeah. So, but but yeah, drinking at work. So I, I've been really, 
good about it for the last couple of weeks. Um, there's a couple times when I had like somebody bought a shot or whatever and I had that, but I was in the habit of going in, ordering my drinks for the night and, and, uh, you know, that was just, I would always order the same thing. I, I pace it properly. I temper it properly so I don't get too, too, uh, intoxicated to perform, but you know, it gives me a nice little happy buzz. Um, but I've decided as part of my new dietary plan to not drink at work, especially beer, because beer is empty calories. So for the last couple of weeks, I've Indeed been, it is. I've been just drinking a pound in water, man, pound in water while I'm playing. So um, I'd like to hear other people that are listening to this, their take on h- how they feel about uh, drinking on the job, as it were. You know, there's advantages to it. Like I said, in, if you're in a bar, that's how you're making your money. You're you're selling drinks. You are drink salesmen and women that play in bands. That's your job for the most part, unless you're playing in a wedding or you know a fair or something like that. If you're playing in a bar or a club, your job is to sell drinks without getting so intoxicated that you can't play. Right, right. What's most important is that the patrons are spending money. Because the bar makes money, you make money. Or you get to come back. That's how it works. We talked about this in the past a lot, you know, about making it a party, you know, and making it a fun, enjoyable environment and where people want to drink and get loose and have a good time, you know? That's why they're out. Yeah. yeah. That's why they're out. And uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of people are just so they have their integrity, their musical integrity. No, like, I'm trying to, you know, be the best guitarist in town or in the state or whatever. It's nobody cares. Most people don't care. They come out how good you are. They really don't. Some people will. That can also be a personal thing, though, you know, where you don't, you know, like I, I seldom drink when I play just because I can't play at the level I want to play at. Right. But yeah, I've found that, I mean, it's hard for me to say whether I play better if I'm not drinking because I, you know, it's, I don't have that objective point of view really because I feel a little looser when I have a little buzz and I take more chances on things maybe I guess or, or get a little I think I get maybe a little more creative but I you know I, I didn't really feel a difference in the last couple of weeks not drinking where any of that is lacking any of those things are lacking so um, you know you'll you'll attribute it to to having a buzz but it's really not that I don't know. It's hard to say because you're only in one thing at a time. This is true. Yeah. Um, so I was I was contemplating what we were going to talk about, and uh, I was considering telling the story that I alluded to a couple weeks ago. Okay, Steve, what story is that? <laughs> well, it's a lesson in perseverance and stick-to-itiveness. And plowing through when you have obstacles. That is what what I, I got from this. And it's it's a little bit of a long story, but it is um, it's interesting. So this is the deal. I was playing we were doing a one off foreigner tribute show at a casino in Mississippi. And 
we had done, I think after that, we did some foreigner stuff. And the story I told last year about the, the Kansas trip with that crazy drummer guy, that was that was a combined foreigner Bon Jovi journey thing. But this was just a foreigner tribute show. Um, and it was organized by the singer. And at the time, I was living at his house. And we had to sort of piecemeal piecemeal a band together the way he worked was he would get the gigs and then he would work on who's going to play the gig <laughs> uh, get the gig first and figure out how to play it later yeah which is you know it works for and against you um depending on stuff but that's just the way he kind of operated he would just try to get work and then then figure out the rest later because he knew enough musicians where he figured he had enough confidence in that he could pull it off so the the um the setup or, or the the personnel for the for the gig was going to be bass drums, two guitar and his lead vocals. And we needed keyboards for a lot of the foreigner songs. Some of them you cannot play without keyboards. And some of them are just just more um you know, sound more authentic when you have the keyboards. So we used the best method that we, we came up with was to use an iPod and put all these sequence tracks on the iPod and put them through the mixer and, and put them, give the drummer, drummer had to wear headphones and, and get a click obviously with a, with a sequencer. And, um, so we were using my iPod, which was the iPod classic. If anybody's familiar with that, it was, it was the, the big when iPods first, kind of came out and they started to, to take off this was the one the ipod to have and i had had it for a long time i had a whole library of music on there so i created a playlist for the for the sequences and we started rehearsing at his house and we didn't have a long time to prepare for this by the time the the personnel was gathered we had less than a week to rehearse this show with a sequencer and uh, and pull it off by the weekend. I think that the show was probably on a Saturday at a casino in Mississippi. And I forget which casino it was. So we assembled the band. We got, you know, two good, good guitar players, a really good drummer, and, you know, me and him. So And we had to work out vocals, you know, everything. I, although there were some backup vocals on this in the sequence tracks. But we still had to at least mime them, if not sing them too. Okay. So we're doing this at this dude's house, right? And this dude's house, it had this this outside area too. And we were making it like a party. You know, we're getting all together. And then the, we, we went out and bought food. We had a barbecue out there. We're barbecuing stuff and not not really working as hard as we should have been in the early part of it. But we did get some work done. You know, everybody was kind of, you know, everybody's pretty much a pro that was working on this thing. So the, the drummer that we got, he was not somebody that I had ever played with before. Let's call him Jack. His name isn't Jack, but I'm going to call him Jack. Okay. Jack is uh, uh, an accomplished drummer and also a sound man. He, that's uh, the way he made his living for the most part was doing sound. And fairly high profile stuff you know not national acts but he would do like the big 
the sound for the biggest rooms around here. And, uh, you know, knows what he's doing. Very good sound man. But also a very good drummer. So he had his van there at the house. And one of the nights that we, one of the days slash nights that we practice, uh, you know, we did a lot of work on stuff. And then he ended up crashing at the house, sleeping there. Because there were a lot of, a big house, a lot of places for people to, to kind of crash out. The next morning we get up and I get up and I go outside to my car and I was going to go out to the store for something. And I noticed that my glove compartment is wide open. All the stuff that was in my glove compartment is, is spread out all over the front seat and on the floor and stuff. And I didn't have anything really of any value in my car, but it was clear that somebody broke in to my car. It was probably unlocked, so they probably didn't even have to break in because there was no windows open or anything. And I didn't think too much of it. I was like, all right, well, this sucks, but there was nothing here to be stolen. So I go to the store, and then I come back, and I come back, and there's cop cars in the driveway. And what had happened, apparently, Jack's van was also broken into, and he had a lot of his audio equipment in there from doing sound, and it was gone. It was stolen. Oh, no. Yeah. So... That's a lesson right there. If you have gear in your car, make sure you lock your car because you never know what's going to happen. Um, yeah, make sure you got an alarm. Yeah, that too. Uh, but it was a relatively, you know, uh, quiet neighborhood it, and not a lot of crime around there. But you're in New Orleans. You never know. It's going to be crime. So he's clearly, obviously pissed off about this. You know, his stuff is gone. It was stolen. And... Now, he's blaming the singer, the owner of the house. He's, he's pissed that, like, and he went so far as to say, as to assume or, or imply that the singer was the one who stole his stuff, the guy, the owner of the house. And he had no evidence to back that up, but that's what he felt. At the very least, he felt it was his fault, but he actually thought that, like, he stole his stuff. So, dude just bails. He's like, I'm not doing this gig. I'm out. So, now we have like two days <laughs> to prepare for this, this gig. Working with a drummer that needs to work with a sequencer and a click and everything. So, we get somebody else. Or the singer calls somebody else and gets him committed to it. And this guy comes over. And under, is a pro as well. And understands how to work with click and stuff. And so so we we bust ass on it for two days and you know, practice this stuff. And it was probably like I don't know, fifteen songs maybe that we had to do. It was I don't remember how long the show was, but not too long. But yeah, you know, I mean how you know, figure foreigners greatest hits. That's what we're doing. Plus we did one set? Uh yeah, one entire set. That's it, no break. And we we actually did a, a Lou Graham song too. We did Midnight Blue. Um, so we bust on it, get it done. And what was essential about using this the sequencer and the click was the way I had it set up was it would give a four count to the drummer to introduce the count that was where he needed to count the song in. So he gets a one, two, three, 
four, and then he gets another one, two, three, four, where he's got to click his sticks or whatever, or hi-hat, whatever, to count the band in. So that's, that's how it was set up, which worked well with, with rehearsal. But at times, you, he needed to vocalize it, you know, just to, to know where, because we can't hear the click. Only he can hear the click. So he needed to shout one, two, three, four, you know. Um, all right, so we're, we're set up. The, so we go uh, for the gig Saturday. It's in Mississippi. We drive down to Mississippi. I bring my computer with me. I got the iPod for the, the sequences. And I'm playing and in. Pl- but your iPod didn't get stolen? No, 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 no. I, I That was not in my car. There was nothing of value in my car to take. They just ransacked through my glove compartment and didn't take anything because there was nothing there. So I usually don't leave expensive things in my car ever. You know, if it, yeah, if it, if it means something to me, I bring it inside. Um, so we get to the gig. We got there early enough, set everything up, and then... We, we we're going to do sound check and I go to use the, the iPod to do sound check and it's not working. Not not only not working, it's not even turning on. And I'm like Alright, what are we gonna do? So I'm I got my computer with me, I connect to the internet, I'm like, how do you fix an iPod classic? What do you do in this situation when it's doing this thing? I found all these troubleshooting things and like all right, and and trying them all, and nothing is working, and I'm just like freaking out. Like we're ticking down the hours to showtime. I think we started at seven. Um, yeah, it was seven o'clock, and we're like we're trying to find a solution. I couldn't connect my computer to it. There was no way to do that. We had to have this. There was no way around it. We had to have the sequencer. And now I got. All right. Now I need to turn my phone off or something because I'm getting text messages. Do you hear that every time it goes? I hear it. All right, so I got to turn my phone off because it's it's a group it's a group text that I'm getting with a band about a show coming up and and everybody is chiming in. So all right, let me turn that. I don't know if it's going to make a sound when I turn it off. All right. So anyway, so now all right. So what is our solution? I have my computer and I have. The tracks on my computer so we came up with the bright idea we're going to get go to the store and buy a new ipod that was the only thing that we could think of and there was like a walmart with like five or seven miles away and um i think we had do we have a hotel there too yeah we might have had a hotel there whatever um so it's so now it's raining and me and the singer are like hauling ass to the Walmart and we're just like breaking all sorts of traffic laws. <laughs> he was driving um, because we, I mean, we're limited for time. So we go Walmart, buy an iPod touch, which I still have. And this was the newer version of the iPod at the time and go back to the hotel, uh, pick other people up that are ready. I'm not even dressed. I didn't shower, and which I had planned on sh- doing. Uh, but I have my 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 uh, my clothes at the venue, so we go back to the venue. Now I have to learn how to use this iPod, transfer these tracks onto this iPod, and uh, you know it's I'm looking at like 15 minutes to showtime. People are starting to file into this room, and it was like a kind of like a ballroom s- setup. But with you know a normal stage and seats, you know there were no there was no standing people. People bought tickets to this, 
to come see this foreigner tribute band, which is just us schlubs trying to piece together foreigner music. And they're, they're sitting, there's, there's uh, the waitresses with the thing, trays walking around. People are like talking, you know, in hushed tones, like, like in a theater waiting for a show. And I'm back there scrambling, trying to figure out how to use this iPod and trying to get these tracks on this iPod. Ten minutes are, are left. I'm still not, I still don't have the, the tracks there. And then, you know, five minutes are left. I got the tracks. All right. I got them in order. All right. Ready to go. No time to test it. Nothing. Um, get, get dressed. And we, we get on stage just in the nick of time at exactly when we were supposed to start. So I got the iPod hooked up. I got it in order. Got the headphones on the drummer. He's ready to go. And, and the, the band's introduced. And I press uh, start on the first song. Now, the thing is, with the first song, there was no track part. There was no, it was a keyboard sequence in that song, but it didn't come in the song until about halfway through the song. So there was no way to tell at the beginning of the song if it was, if we were synced up with it properly. So I hit play, and then the drummer does not count us in. He doesn't one, two, three, four out loud, just like we practiced, nothing. The guitar player starts, I forget what song it was, but the guitar player started the song i think and then now the sequence is running i cannot check it i cannot know there's no way for me to know whether we're in sync and we're playing the song now the drummer can hear the click so we're at least in time but i don't know if those keyboards are going to come in in the right spot and if they don't come in the right spot it is a train wreck right from the start (laughs) oh yeah so I am playing through the first song and just holding my breath, just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. What are we going to do? Because not only was it, it they were set up in order, they were set up in order so they could run from one song to the other. So I didn't have to go keep stopping and starting it. It was just like, if this is off, then it, it might screw up the whole night. Now, somehow, by the grace of God, when those keyboards came in, they came in in the right spot of the song. And I'm like, oh. Thank you. Pure fuck. <laughs> Thank you. Because the next song, the second song was Cold as Ice, which starts with keywords. Then, then, you know. Um, oh, yeah. So it was like, it had to be on, and thankfully it was on. So <sighs> we made it. We made it through the show, and people enjoyed it. And that was it. In the span of like five days, all that stuff that happened paid off. And we did get paid well. For it. But that was the only time we did that, and we never did it after that. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. That's good stuff, dude. We played with a click for years, and uh, many stories of, of disasters that had happened. Give me one. What do you got? <sighs> Give you one. Okay, so there was a part where we played, um, we had sequenced uh, a ton of keyboard parts for a bunch of songs, right? And we also had um, loops and stuff that we could start and stop. So we had this, I had this old Roland drum machine that was tied into the click coming from the sequencer. So we got this brilliant idea to, um, we used to do this instrumental song. Uh, original and it had a bunch of keyboards in it all you know programmed like real intricate and you know runs and very rush like right so it, the whole band would you know it would follow 
and it was all orchestrated. And we got to the middle, and it was like a um, four-bar break. So we got the idea. Uh, I said, why don't you stop the sequencer, right? And then I'll do a, a drum solo, and then I'll count us back in again. You hit the click on because it would count four bars of time. You know what I'm saying? Right. So when it went... Uh, it went one, two, and then four bars. So what I said is stop it right at that point. So this way, at the end of my solo, I can cue you. You can click it back in again. I'll do the four bar fill, kind of like YYZ. You know, we we're trying to emulate that exit stage left. You know, where he comes and does a solo, then he comes back in again with the fill to bring the band back in. Right. So, <laughs> he pauses the sequencer. Everything's working great. Do this great solo come back in to count him in, he hits the thing, the thing starts clicking, and somehow it didn't sync up with the the sequencer part, was not no longer sequenced to the click. So when it came back in, it said it began like, da it was like, and it was on like the upbeat of the other measure, and you know, the whole band's playing the part, and the keyboard is like Jazz Odyssey. It's playing a completely, it's not, it's not, in time anymore at all oh man and it was complete disaster i mean like no like we kept playing but there was you know he had to stop the sequencer and we just had to like jam it out and then cut it short because it was a complete <laughs> complete disaster oh, train man. wreck train. it's so painful man in train wrecks train wrecks are painful to experience and to watch i, I don't know if they're more painful to experience or to watch but you know the one thing you learn, Steve, as a drummer, is like if you kind of, if somehow you get off with the sequencer or the click is off, you know, right. like you know, um, someone comes in the wrong spot and they're on the downbeat, but it's the upbeat, you know, and it's the famous drums where you're playing like and you just play you know, you flip right. the beat, flip the beat, yeah, quarter or you flip an eighth note or whatever right. it might be, sixteenth, however you have to get back to the beat, and then at least you're on, and then within a measure or two everyone else will kind of you know that's tough sometimes like yeah like if you're good at it like you know it that's awesome but some drummers can't do that and some musicians can't even do that and it's tough man it, it really is because you have to kind of your brain is on this and then you have to switch it to the other and it's yeah it's, it's that's a tough thing to do to pull off sometimes yeah and like you said if you're inexperienced or you're not familiar with playing with a click or, or you don't have that wherewithal to quickly get it back together again. Yeah, you just keep plowing through, playing that, 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 you know, and you're off. It's, 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 it's brutal. Oh, it's brutal. What is the best? I mean, yeah, if you can't fix it, because I, I, you know, you just keep going, I guess, because I've definitely been part of train wrecks. There was one too last week. Was it last week? When I played out in, in Alabama, some dude got up and played my bass and, there was another guy playing guitar who wasn't the guitar player in the band, you know, two dudes that came to sit in and they just didn't know the songs well. And it was just, it was train wreck, a train wreck after train wreck after train wreck of the, turning the song. But then you have to just keep playing until you get to the end. <laughs> you can't just stop, you know, have you ever been in that situation where you just, all right, that's it. We got to stop. <laughs> yes. I played a talent show one time in high school, and um, I forget what song it was. 
It might have been Houses of the Holy. Come in, and the guitar player was in the wrong key. And to your point, instead of being able to say, ah, let me flip it or, you know, get back on to the right side of the beat, he just turned around and he just stopped playing. And he's like, sorry, guys, we got to start this one again. And sure enough, same thing, like stop the song and then started it all over again. Yeah, sometimes you got to do that. That's happened with the pros, too. I've I've seen, and I can't think of a particular instance, but I know I've seen that with with even the, the pro level where something was just way off and like, nope, nope, start again. That's rough. If some bands are really good at it, like they'd be like, oh, dude, I, I, I fucked that all up. We got to hang on. We got to start over again. That time out. Mm. You know, and make it like funny, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you can make it fun and funny and then and not be too embarrassed about it and just plow forward, then, then you're good. So, yeah. <laughs> but to your point, not always easily done. Not always easily done, no. Um, it's cool when you can, and I've been in this situation too, where, where you do get off the rails, but then everybody comes back on the rails at the same time too. So it's like, everybody's aware and we know what to do. I've had that happen several times, I think here in new Orleans. Um, sometimes you forget, like I'll find every once in a while too, that I'll just like completely brain fart on a part of a song that I've played 500 times. And just be like, not like forgetting what I, I'm supposed to do, but just forgetting to do it. And uh, like, <laughs> I yeah, like we play, I, I'll give you an example. We uh, Like a month ago, we played this, we did this benefit, um, this outdoor benefit, and we had to play like an hour set. And that was it. And we did um, uh, 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 Life in the Fast Lane by Eagles. And I've played that song, you know, a million times with the same band, with the same personnel. It's, you know, Sean Tracy, it was Austin on guitar, and we had keyboard player. And, but, but playing it on a different stage, and I was stage left when I'm normally stage right. And just, and the sound being vastly different than what I'm used to with these guys has an effect. It's not an excuse, but it has an effect on you. Uh, but we played Life in the Fast Lane and we got to that part where I go, blah, 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 da, doom, blah, da, you know, the bass part in that sort of middle section leading to the next verse. Yep. And we got to that part and I just didn't do it. And I was like, and just for a, a, a second or a few seconds, I was like, I don't even know where I am in the song right now. <laughs> like, I just, I was just totally dumbfounded and I didn't play that part. And then we just went into the next verse and everything was normal. But, I didn't realize until afterwards. I'm like, wait, I just, I just completely glossed over doing that part. Why did I do that? I, I know that song, so it happens to people. So anybody that's a beginner, where you, things like that happen to you, um, don't get down on yourself, and also get used to it. <laughs> no, I've seen it happen a, a real lot with, um, especially vocals. People forgetting the words. Yeah. That happens too, and I sing quite a bit, but I don't. I don't. It's rare that I forget words. I don't have to think about. It. Once I know it, I don't have to think about them. 
I have little um, cheat cues that I use in in my brain for like that that I used in the beginning and that I still remember. And it's usually like uh, like I sing uh, "Last Dance with Mary Jane," and you know the first verse. I it always comes to me. She grew up in an Indian town, and then. Um, that's not the example I wanted to use. It was the other Tom Petty song, Running Down a Dream. I sing Running Down a Dream. Uh, it was a beautiful day. The sun beat down is the first uh, verse. Then the second and third verse, it's uh, felt so good like anything was possible. And the third verse is, uh, uh, I rolled on, the sky grew dark. Um, so the way I remember it is alphabetical. The, like the second verse is, starts with an F. And then the, the third verse, it says I rolled on, but I always think rolled R. So F, so that's how I remember how the verse starts, just thinking alphabetically. Or it could be reverse alphabetically. But whatever it is, that's how I kind of remember it. And as long as I get that first line, then I'm good. Hey, whatever it takes to remember the words, right? Yeah, that's a little trick I use. Though. I mean, it depends on the song. It depends on yeah, how you cue it, you know? Yeah. But mentally, there'll just be times where, you know, you just space and you forget. Like, where, like I said, where am I in the song? You know, if you're not paying attention. I, I mean, that happens to me. It happens to me more frequently than you would think just because I play frequently. And sometimes at the swamp, there's nobody there and I'm just spaced out. I'm watching TV. You know, I got this TV right to the left of me and playing the song on autopilot. And then sometimes I'll just completely zone out to be like, Wait, is this the last verse? Is this the last chord? <laughs> like, where, did we already play the whole song? <laughs> While well, I was spaced out. Yeah, you forget where you are. Yeah, but it's an interesting thing about muscle memory and stuff. How you know, like my hands are just doing it, and I don't even have to tell them what to do or think about it or anything. They're just doing the thing that they do. It just happens. Yeah. But speaking of singing, I the other night it was uh, a Sunday night. We were done playing. And I walked down the street. I was going to get a slice of pizza. And then I popped my head in Famous Door, which is a block down the street from where we play. And um, I know the band. And the singer came over to me, this girl, Carla. And we were just rapping and stuff. And she was like, oh, I'm tired. You know, I've been working, blah, blah, blah. And she said, you want to come up and sing a song and give me a break? I was like, yeah. And they had another singer there, too. But it's somebody who's new who, who I didn't know. And I didn't even hear her sing. But... It's like, yeah, you know, I'll help out a friend and it's fun to sing. But, and it's Famous Door, which is the best room on the street, you know, so it's a decent crowd in the room. And they, she said, what do you want to sing? I said, Kryptonite, which is kind of my go-to song that I sing. I've been singing it forever and I know it very well and I sing it pretty well. Um, so I'm told. And, uh, but the thing is, so now I'm not, I'm, I'm stage, you know, I'm center stage. I got a wireless mic. And that's it. And I'm, that's not something I'm used to doing, man. Like, I always have a bass on to protect me. So to just sing in the front of the stage just with a mic is is not natural for me. I was going to say it's uncomfortable. Very but different. It's, it's, yeah, it's very different because I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> you know, that's, so I just, like, kind of pretend. You know, I hold my fist in the air or reach out my hand or whatever. Like, I try to be animated with it. But I'm just, I'm pretending. Like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> and I got to give credit to singers out there that do it, you know, all the time that, that have the art down. 
because it's it is it's scary you know you're sort of naked when i have my base on you know that's protecting me have you ever you ever done it i know you sing behind the drums but have you ever gone out front oh yeah yeah all right yeah I, i've gone out front um it's funny when i was um at one point i was playing in a band and i didn't sing yet you know i hadn't hadn't worked that part out i hadn't developed uh the ability to sing and, and play you know or or even sing so uh i said you know it's i said the same thing i'm like you know i'm always behind the drums and i, I don't get to be out front and it'd be so cool to be out front so my brother came um to see us play and i said hey you want to sit in and it was um rage against the machine bulls on parade all right so what he did is he sat in he played and i got up front with a microphone and the singer sat at the bar with the wireless and he sang the song and I pretended like I was singing the song. That's funny. <laughs> so I was out front like a lunatic, you know, jumping up the stage, doing Dave Lee Roth moves. And, oh, man. Like, All right. you know, really out of control. It's having like stupid fun. And he was singing the part, you know. And then, you know, once I worked on, on that part of the craft and it developed the ability to sing and then sing and play, I would always be behind the drums. But then, like, um, there'd be certain times where... Um, like when I got my shoulder operated on, I had a sub, uh, my neighbor, great drummer, Jimmy Caramana, and, uh, he's filled in for a bunch of gigs for me. And, uh, one or two times I, I went to the gig and sang, like just got up on stage and sang, you know, while right. he played drums. And yeah. then, uh, there's been times where I've had work functions and they've hired the band, but I'm not going to play in the band cause I'm at work, you know, entertaining people and doing, uh, you know, work stuff. So they would have a, a a dr fill-in drummer but i would get up and sing like you know either like paradise by the dashboard light or or or, or any song that i would sing i could probably sing like 30 songs now in the band and i would get up and do a song but it was cool because you go around you high five people in the crowd you get the wireless you know you're out so it's just a different you know i, I think your personality comes through in whatever instrument you play you know what i mean so in right. other words if you really quiet and reserved when you play drums you're going to be out front you're going to be very quiet and reserved but if you're more flamboyant or entertaining then i think when you get out you're you, you carry that with you does that make sense yeah you know and i was trying to keep that in mind when i was doing it and i was singing to certain people like there were certain people who were really engaged and you know singing along with me so i was really making you know making sure i was making eye contact or pointing sure. to them or reaching out so so i did a relatively good job but I, I don't think that's something that i could do on a regular basis like all night i maybe i could i probably know enough songs at this point to sing well, it's definitely different to be out front it's so different it's so different I, and i like i like the challenge of it. with an instrument on you know yeah I like the challenge of it and the fact that it scares me because that's that's something that I would want to face and uh and conquer. Uh but I don't know anybody would hire me as a singer. Although somebody toyed with it once. Uh well, I tried to see if I was interested in it. 
Um, see, I, I'm not, I would never call myself a singer. I sing. I can sing okay. But I would never be like, I'm a singer. <laughs> it's just because I'm a bass player, man. That's my thing. But I do enjoy it. I enjoy, I especially enjoy singing harmonies too. Uh, it's a big yeah, asset, it, it, man. Yeah, it's it's either or, you know. It's a big asset to have, especially here, because people that the people that get work are usually people that can play an instrument and sing. Right. Yeah. Yes, that's definitely a, a plus. You know. Yeah, it's a big. Plus. You have both, then you're definitely in better shape. Yeah. You know, you're, you're like I said, you're more viable for, um, you know, for getting hired. Yeah. And even if you can't, even if you're not, you don't think you're a really good singer, if you can sing in tune, that's all you need to do, you know, for harmonies, you know, you don't, you don't, you, if you can sing in tune and learn words, you're good. That's, that's really the criteria that's important. You don't have to be a great singer. You know, because when when you're doing harmonies, especially like three part harmony, four part harmony, your your voice is not going to be as distinguishable as if you were singing by yourself. And if you're in tune, it's going to sound fantastic. Yeah, because when you're out front, you're out front. You know what I mean. Mm. But if that's what you do, then that's what that's your craft, and that's what you should perfect, and that's what you should work on. You know. Yeah, yeah, but I, I you know, I would encourage every musician to sing. Because if you play an instrument, you can hear notes. You know, you're not tone deaf, hopefully. Although, maybe, I wonder if people that are tone deaf can play instruments. I don't know if that's... Good question. I don't know if that, how that works. I guess it depends on the instrument. Yeah. But I, mean, I wouldn't think you could play a, a stringed or a corded instrument because then you wouldn't be able to uh, just d discern the notes, you know? If you're tone deaf, right, how would you be able to decipher what, what one note is to the next or even the key change? Yeah. You, I mean, unless you knew it technically, you know, if you were a real good student yeah, of music theory. Up at some point. Because I knew, like, there was a guy that I used to play with occasionally here in New Orleans that was a guitar player that could not improvise. He wouldn't even try. He would just, he'd just say it flat out, I don't know how to improvise. And the way he learned songs was by getting the tabs. That he would learn every song that way, and I learn songs by ear always, and uh, that's how I've that's always, always that's how I've always done it. Uh, but he that's all he did, and and very good guitar player technically, uh, but he would not improvise any solos, anything. So, but I don't know that he was. I know he didn't sing, but I don't know if he was tone deaf. It's possible that he was though. So, I guess it's possible. I mean, Beethoven was deaf and wrote music. Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my board is cutting in and out. Hang on a second. Okay. We just had a big... There's another one. Thunder, thunderstorms coming through. I'm hearing, like, major thunder outside. So, hopefully we can oh, get... Oh, yeah, dude. It was, um, I guess, about 5 o'clock tonight. Uh, by me, the sky got pitch black, like nighttime black. And then uh, it was almost like a hurricane for 15 minutes. Trees down, hail, Oof. monsoon, pouring rain. Yeah, really bad. 
Yeah, I think I saw some people talking about that on Facebook. Um, well, let's hope we can finish this before my power goes out. <laughs> yeah. How's your weather down by you now? Well, it's, I mean, it's been hot. It's been re- like record heats every day. We, we've been in the 90s, uh, you know, uh, low to mid 90s every day. Today, was, I was in my car. It was 96 outside. Wow. Yeah. It's hot. Record heats. We're hitting records every day. So, to you global warming people that don't believe it. Maybe, <laughs> exactly. It's here. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's true. I have no evidence or proof. I know that we're just, it's hot. We're hitting record heats. And it's only May. Record. It's only May. There's, the, the, it's so hot down here. June, July, August, it's hot every day. There's no doubt about it. It's going to be hot. Humid. And hot every so, day, every day. So, if you like that kind of thing, move to New Orleans and get a job playing music. <laughs> exactly, because there always is space for musicians. So, what what do you got going on gig wise? Anything coming up, or what you got going on? Yeah, actually, may ha- I have um, a couple Labor Day weekend gigs that are lined up, and then um, Labor Day or Memorial Day. You said Labor Day or Memorial Day or Labor Day? No, no, Labor Day. We just, I'm saying we just got gigs in Oh, okay. Uh, on the books, uh, like August 25th, the weekend before Labor Day, and then the weekend of Labor Day. And then uh, we just got another uh, gig for um, Memorial Day weekend. Oh, cool. Yeah. So it's cool because, you know, it just, we had nothing then. It just came in. It's, you know how that works. Some of my stuff booked way out. Some of it just it just rolls in, you know. Like I said, this guy called in a panic. He's looking for a band. He's he's having a Labor Day party, a Memorial Day party rather, and um, yeah, he's just like, "What are you guys charging the band?" And you know, no, ten thousand no dollars. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's cool, you know. Uh, so we got, yeah, we got a bunch of gigs coming up. Nice. Like I said, summer's tough for us, you know. I know Kel's gigging with, because uh, July, we lose almost all July between vacations and whatnot. So Kel's been gigging right. with, um, he picked up a bunch of gigs over the summer with uh, Mr. Lovejoy. Okay, yeah, cool. Um, yeah, so he's he's doing that, and then, we're, like I said, we're going to play these, these bunch of gigs, and then uh, we'll go from there. Right on. How about you? Well, I have... If you're new... I have, well, this week I'm doing uh, Wednesday and Thursday at the Swamp, and then Friday I'm off, and then Saturday I'm playing with uh, this band called Level Up that I've been playing with, uh, I played with a couple weeks ago in Alabama, and played a couple gigs in Mississippi with them, and this is a gig in Mississippi at a place that I've never played, so that will be uh, fun. I like, uh, I like playing new places. It makes everything feel new. And the band is good. You know, we play uh, more rock, more leaning towards the hard rock type of stuff, but okay. more commercial type of hard rock. But uh, that's cool. And then Sunday, I'm playing with a band called Rockbox in New Orleans at a club called Fat Cats. I play with them every once in a while. I am the go-to sub bass player. Um, I've been playing with them for years. And they are friends of mine, and they also lean towards the rock type of stuff they don't play dance music they don't play hip-hop they don't 
play country. They don't play blues. It's just rock. And up to, you know, like the heaviest it gets is Metallica and Motley Crue, but, you know, the commercial songs from them. But there's more like, um, uh, not really deep cuts, but, but stuff that other people on the street don't play. Various uh, like stick songs and uh, uh, Chicago, they do uh, Saturday in the Park. Uh, Toto do like Rosanna and Africa oh, and, hold, and Hold the Line. Um, so it, really, really fun band. Uh, I love playing with those guys. So I'm playing with them Sunday. And then I am also playing with them the following Friday at the same club. So looking forward to that. And then that Saturday I'm playing with the other band level up. I think in Louisiana, I think it's around Baton Rouge. So, so for the rest of the month, I got a variety, which is nice. I really, I really enjoyed that having a bunch of different bands to play with. Cause it, you have to kind of utilize your different levels of your different skill sets, depending on who you're, playing with and some of them uh and what kind of travel is involved with that uh well for the new orleans stuff it's you know it's the same but uh the yeah but like baton rouge oh it's for me that's about an hour it's it's actually it's i think it's further west from baton rouge because i remember mapping it out and it was about an hour and a half drive so so yeah so that's a long drive for a gig i've driven further so sure we all have yeah and sometimes i like driving long distances listen to some music or an audiobook or something in my car and uh i like driving kind of and not drinking at you know at the gigs too helps a lot for the drive home yeah especially if it's a four drive i yeah. sure yeah it's not a chance you want to take really although i've done it many times but it's not uh not a good idea because especially late at night get tired and there's not a lot of cars on the road and if you're exactly there's not a lot of cars on the road so therefore you're a prime target yes if you're speeding or swerving or doing something stupid driving without your headlights on or <laughs> yeah exactly which obvious means, things to get you pulled over yeah, you will get pulled over and if you're drunk you're getting busted yeah thankfully, you're in trouble yeah thankfully that's never happened to me no, that's a good point you bring up, though. Something to close with, too, is like you can drink and have a good time, but, you know, if you do get, you know, God forbid you get in an accident and hurt somebody or hurt yourself, then you can't play, you know? And then it's just more um, things you have to contend with, you know, more challenges you're going to put in your way from being able to, to, to play, uh, you know, and, and earn a living. Yes. So Lots. Realize that, you know, that you're, you can jeopardize your, a lot by uh, making some bad decisions. Yes, indeed. So make good decisions, people. That is our wisdom message to you. Yes. This week. And why is this not working? Oh, make wise wise choices. I know why it's not working. Because I turned the volume down. The volume is important. Yes. All right. CBC Wisdom Hour number thirty wraps it up. Thanks for listening, guys. Make sure you share it if you like this. CarvanCentral.com, join up. Caravan Central page, join the group, spread the word. That's all I got. We'll see you next time.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.